Varanasi is uh, where the Ganges River is. It's the Mecca of Hinduism. So as Mecca is to Islam, uh, Varanasi is to Hinduism. And so it's a very dark place. But um, the door opened for us to go and minister there at this um, to this missionary, Presbyterian missionary. And uh, he had 50 house churches associated with him and over 3,000 people in that church. Uh, I went there first in 2013. Sister Sue Sarantos and Brother Othan Sarantos, Sister Zami in our church have also been heavily involved and so influential. But we've baptized, I've baptized over 300 leaders there now in Varanasi. And, wow. uh, and all of the leaders have been baptized in Jesus' name. Um, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are preaching our doctrine. Now, they're not part of the UPC uh, yet. Maybe one day they will. But that is another door that God opened. And God has uh, done miraculous things there in probably one of the most persecuted places in the world. Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorne. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by a good friend of mine. Jonathan Downs is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Canberra, our nation's capital. He also served for many years as the National Youth President of the United Pentecostal Church of Australia and has traveled extensively ministering throughout the South Pacific, Asia, and India. He is a passionate leader and you will hear that passion come through in this episode. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if you get something out of it and allow it to bless them as well. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Now that that's taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Jonathan Downs. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me, Greg. Um, it's really a great privilege, and I must say I've really, really enjoyed um, your podcast. Uh, I was listening to it before you even invited me, so thank you so much for having me, and I just pray that this little conversation we're going to have can be a blessing to somebody out there today. Yeah, it's so awesome having uh, a lot of the leaders within the UPCA come on and uh, share a bit of their backstory, so uh, people who are connected with you can get to know you a bit more. Yeah, I found it very good, and um, you've had some wonderful, wonderful content so far, uh, both at home and abroad. And um, I've been encouraged. Uh, in fact, just this afternoon, I listened to the uh, the podcast of Brother Chris Green. Very, very encouraging. I was very uplifted and really got a lot out of that. It was it was really anointed, and, and other elders that we've been able to hear uh, their story, like you said, um, has really, really been a blessing. So thank you, Greg. Well, I like to start out these conversations, as as you know, as someone who has listened to a, a bit of it, I like to uh, get the guests to give a bit of their backstory, to share a bit about themselves, uh, just so the the listeners to the podcast get a bit of an idea of where you're coming from, who you are, you know, sort of your worldview. And uh, yeah, so if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a, a bit about where you come from growing up and, and what that was like. Yeah, no problems. Well, in terms of where do I come from, I guess you go back to where I was born. And um, I was born in Melbourne. Um, and I lived in Melbourne until I was about six years old. And uh, it was there. My dad was um, teaching as a school teacher. And we were involved in the church there. In fact, 
my mum's foster father uh, was the pastor of the church that we were attending there. And so, yes, I was born in Melbourne, but we moved to um, Canberra when I was six years old. So I, I really grew up in Canberra and I really learned to love Canberra. And so as a child growing up, I had all the usual interests that children have, but more than anything, it was really sports and pretty much anything outdoors. And I, I spent a lot of time, you know, playing outside, making cubby houses in the bush, chasing animals, collecting animals, all those sort of things. But obviously, uh, being a pastor's kid, our life was very focused on ministry mm. and on the church. And um, one thing is we, we did we did ministry together as a family. And uh, my parents included us children, which my sister Ruth and myself, uh, wherever they could. They found a way um, to make ministry exciting for us as kids. And so... You know, when I say exciting, I can't say that I really, you know, love sitting through seven days of general conference as a 10-year-old. Um, it was testing at times. And sometimes during the sermons, I found myself studying the maps, you know, in the back of the Bible and things like that. But I've really got to give it to my parents. You know, they really did their best um, to make our to make ministry enjoyable for us and to make conference enjoyable. Um, in fact, so much so that I actually look forward to going to conference. It was that conference where we got to have McDonald's, which we never had any other time. And uh, back then, there weren't that many McDonald's <laughs> around. Um, you know, we, we got to swim in the swimming pool at the at the hotel we were staying at. Or probably one of my favorite things is because we grew up without a TV. Um, when we were in the motel, um, I'd often get to watch the cricket in the motel. And that was really a highlight. But, you know... Ministry was what we lived for, um, and my parents did their best to make ministry enjoyable for us, and um, we'd often take time going to conference. Back then, conference went for seven days. It started just after Christmas and went, uh, I think it started on the 27th and went right through to after New Year's, and so um, we would spend a few days driving to conference and um, stopping in different places. I remember having picnics along the Murray River and and swimming in the Murray River with my sister and all these little country towns we'd stay in. We had a lot of adventures. And so I've really, ministry was our life. And my parents didn't silo ministry. When I say silo ministry is that a, a lot of a lot of times I hear ministries, they'll have this, the ministry and the family time. But our family time was ministry. It was, it was all one and the same. And we did it all together. And um, I went on mission trips with my parents. We went to conference together. We went to church together. Uh, at times, in fact, most of the time, we visited other families in the church together as well. And we played with kids and and all of that. So it was very, very ministry focused. And that sounds really super spiritual, I guess. But <laughs> I had other interests as well. Um, of course, I mentioned before sports, um, music. And, and one interest maybe some people who don't know that I had um, from a very young age I used to breed budgerigars, huh. and uh, I had up to a hundred budgerigars in my parents' backyard. And um, yeah, I just loved um, having budgies and breeding them, and getting the babies, and and then selling the babies. And it was a it was a wonderful thing. And in fact, I did it until uh, until our children were born. Lachlan was born um, in two thousand and seven. So I even kept that into my into my older age, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> but I really liked that. So. Awesome. Yeah, I I did not know that about the budgeries, not at all. But I love 
to get back into life. Yeah. I love what you said about your parents, how uh, they included you guys, made ministry inclusive. And it wasn't, as you said, siloed off where it was like, you know, ministry's over here and then family life is over here. But it was able to be mixed. And I think that's so important, especially for those who are involved in ministry, who have young kids, to make sure that you involve them in ministry as well. Yeah, that's right. And we always found a way to have fun somehow, you know, even at ministers' retreats and things like that. I just love playing with other kids, uh, other ministers' kids. Uh, we often got up to mischief, and there's a lot of stories I could tell about that, but I'll keep that for <laughs> another time. But, yeah, one thing uh, I was very passionate about is when I was young was, was music. And um started playing music when I was six years old, uh, classically trained. And uh, since then, I learned a, a lot of different instruments. Um, I started playing drums in church when I was 10 years old and uh, played my first conference on the drums when I was 11 years old, way back in the days when we had conference in the Bankstown Town Hall. I studied classical piano, and um, I remember being a piano player, it just, you know, it was one of those things that it wasn't the most macho thing to do in my mind, you know, and sometimes the boys at school would, you know, tease me about being a piano player. And, but I remember uh, a lot of people may remember Sister Helen Cole and she came past and she was just a tremendous encouragement to me and, 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 and told me about all these great piano players in the church in the US and it really inspired me. So I'm so glad I stuck with it, did all the classical training through all the grades and then was able to transfer those uh, skills into a, a church situation. And, and for anybody who's listening, maybe you're a young person and you're you're doing your classical training and playing your um, your Chopin and your Mozart and all that sort of stuff. There are so many fundamental skills there uh, as classically tra- trained musicians that will, will help you and give you a very good foundation, although it's completely different, but it will give you a, a very good foundation for... Um, you know, playing in church and playing in a band situation. So, yeah, yeah that's a little bit. And then sports. I love sports as well. We, we play cricket over here, Greg, and um, <laughs> I love rig- rugby league as well. Uh, I was I was pretty good at both of those things. In fact, we didn't have a TV, so I was always doing one or the other. Um, and then in university, when I was in my late teens, 18, 19, started playing Aussie Rules and uh, for the university, ANU and uh, Australian National University, and I decided to go down. I thought, you know, I was putting on a bit of weight. Better go down and get a bit of exercise. And um, I started training with the uh, with the team there and ended up getting picked and uh, played 10 years of Aussie rules. And so that was an experience. Now, as a parent, I'm still into still into sports. Um, my kids are into soccer, and I've learned... It's probably another tip, I guess, for people that have got kids... I've learned to adopt my kids' interests as my interests because it's the best way to save time. So I've just learned to love soccer because I love soccer. So that's what I'm into now. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to mention soccer because uh, you and I went to a soccer match, the uh, Socceroos, but uh, I didn't realize that's that right. that was actually your son's thing and not really your thing. I thought you had, and, and that goes to show how great a dad you are, that uh, it seemed like that was your thing as well. Yeah, I just had to... You know, it's just it's a passion we we enjoy now, and I, I manage their their teams. In fact, there's there was one year there where I was um, I was actually coaching three different teams, and they're all my kids' teams, and um, now I'm quite involved uh, in the community football, and and that's enabled me to be able to reach people in our church. Um, there's people in our church that I've been able to reach through um, my involvement in in football, 
in soccer. So um, it keeps me grounded also with, um, you know, what, what are the needs in our community and what our community looks like and things like that. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me growing up and some of my interests. So you mentioned that obviously you grew up, and uh, for those who may not know, Brother Jonathan Downs' parents are Bishop Downs and Sister Downs, who are the current general superintendent of the UPCA, and they pastor the church at Calvary Chapel, which Brother Jonathan Downs now pastors. They pastor that for a number of years. And so you grew up in that home. You grew up in that environment. You talked about how that they involved you in ministry, how they took, uh, how your dad took you on trips and overseas missions trips even. Uh, so you were, they were not siloing off ministry from family, but this was all integrated. But then at some point, you had to have your own experiences outside of, say, your parents' guidance, your parents' direction. You had to have that yeah. moment where you had your call to the ministry. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, what was it like when you first felt the call to ministry? Yeah, well, growing up in a pastor's home, it, it was interesting because... Uh, you'd often have preachers around and we had them staying in our house. And um, a lot of people think, you know, you must have had such a hard life. You're a pastor's kid. And, you know, to be honest, yeah, as a pastor's kid, there are unique challenges that we have as a pastor's kid. But uh, kids of doctors have unique challenges as well. Kids whose parents are surgeons and, and builders and all that. They have, if they own their own business, kids that grow up in those environments have unique circumstances. So, you know, I, I really can't complain um, about being a pastor's kid. Yes, there were sacrifices, but there were also, and I mentioned some of these before, there are a lot of privileges and a lot of opportunities. In fact, just, you know, some of the connections that I have through all the years and got to know certain people because they stayed in our house um, has been a tremendous blessing. You know, what uh, I remember Jonathan Urshan, um, he, he stayed in our house. In fact, he slept in my bedroom. I had to move out of my bedroom so Jonathan Urshan could... Uh, sleep in my bed I remember going in very early in the morning and getting him to read stories to me wow. and uh, he, would, he would get up early <laughs> I don't think my parents knew that I was waking the guest preacher so early but he'd get up early and, and read me read me children's books and then I remember and this would be close to your heart I remember Bishop Bishop Slack and uh, he would always be there to talk cricket with me and and being able to see uh, a side of ministry that is outside of the pulpit and and also just how they made me feel special um, as a preacher's kid. Um, you know, of course, you mentioned going on trips. I, I, I remember traveling to Nirupi just as a seven-year-old uh, with my dad, who was the home missions director then. And uh, for those that don't know, Nirupi's about 300, kil or 300 miles, my dad used to say miles, so probably about 400 kilometers northwest of Alice Springs. And um, I went out there as a seven-year-old. And at that time, it was so remote. Um, there was... Um, the kids under 12 were still running around without clothes on. Uh, people were still living in um, very simple housing. Uh, some of them what they call humpies, just uh, with, with steel. And I remember the first day I got there, I made all my friends. I had a, a great friend out there who's still my friend and we still talk. His name was Walter. And uh, we'd run around together. And on the first day, I was fully clothed. I wore my shoes and socks and my shorts and T-shirt. The second day, uh, my dad reminds me of this story. I, I had no shoes, no socks and... The third day, no T-shirt, no shorts. I didn't quite get down to wearing nothing, but I really became part of um, <laughs> the kid. And um, funny story, uh, I was with some of the some of the boys there. We were playing with our Shanghais, which are like slingshots. 
and uh, we killed this old man's duck. Um, we thought it was a wild duck, but he had actually gone to all the hassle of taking it from Alice Springs out to Nirupi and um, yeah, we shot it with a slingshot. So we got in trouble, but you know, on those trips also, the miracles that we saw, um, I remember one trip into the Torres Strait and uh, we saw evident miracles. Um, we saw a man who had a dislocated wrist, you know, healed right there in the service. Another man who was paralyzed one down, down one side of his body. Uh, we had this, it was on Yam Island and we, we didn't even have a place to meet. We just met under the veranda of the school. And uh, in fact, I was playing a keyboard, one of those little kids keyboards, which is like maybe 40 centimeters long. And I was playing that keyboard. And after the service, we were just singing some songs. And uh, this paralyzed man was there. And my dad turned and he said, brother, before tomorrow morning, you're going to be healed. And I remember thinking, oh, dad, really? <laughs> I hope you're right. Yeah. And I remember that morning, the next morning, he's knocking on the door and he was healed. So, you know, it was wonderful to grow up. And in a preacher's home, there was challenges, of course, unique challenges, but it was a blessing. And so... I remember um, people would often say, you're going to be a preacher like your daddy. You know, you're going to, are you going to be a preacher like your daddy or you're going to be a preacher like your daddy and all those things. And it was very common. But when you talk about the call to the ministry, I think it's very important to differentiate the call to the ministry and the call to preaching. Mm. I, I do think there's an important differentiation there because unless you are a minister, and I'm going to explain this in a second, unless you are a minister, you can't be a preacher. It's so important. And some people say, well, aren't they one of the same? Well, the Bible says that Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And that word minister, it means servant. Hmm. And so you've got to understand before you become a preacher, you've got to be learn to be a minister, which means servant. Right. It's very scary when you meet people that are only called to preach, not to serve. And the Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 26, it says, whoever desires to become great, let him be your servant. And so there is a differentiation. I believe we must first have that calling to minister. And I believe every single person is called to minister. Right. We are all called to minister. And especially in these last days, we're called to minister. That means we are called to serve. I don't believe that there's a specific call to ministry in fact in fact i believe ministry is an overflow of gratitude to a faithful god when we realized how much god loves us and when he calls us we want to serve him that's mm -hmm. what we want to do and that's what ministry is ministry is serving god and so that ministry is a as i said a, an overflow of gratitude to god and um i believe it's a lot about acknowledging the lordship of jesus when, when you are saved and you have that revelation of the Lordship of Jesus, then you realize who he is and who you are. Hmm. You, you realize that you are a servant, you are a minister. And I really, really enjoyed this before what, what Brother Green said in your recent podcast about the call of God on the Apostle Paul. He talked about that blinding experience, you know, when he realized that God was calling him. But right after that, after that dramatic experience, then Saul had to submit himself to the man of God. And the man of God then told him what he must do to follow that call. Hmm. And um, we, we see in, in, in 
that situation on the road to Damascus that first of all, he prayed, he talked with God. When he heard the call, he talked with God. And then uh, verse five and six of Acts nine says, then he went and submitted himself to the man of God. There's another part of that call, which really speaks to me, brother Greg, about the, the call into ministry or the call into preaching. The first thing when God called Saul, who became the apostle Paul, the first response was from Saul. He said, who art thou Lord? Hmm. He, he said, who art thou Lord? And then later in the conversation, he asked God, what would you have me do? Yeah. Who art thou Lord? And what will you have me do? And I think that's so important. When we hear the call of God on our life, we must establish who our Lord is. Who art thou Lord? Establish before you can go any further in ministry, you need to establish and settle in your heart who your Lord is. And that word Lord, look it up. It means owner. It means boss. It means all of those things. It's who he is and who we are. And when we experience that call of God, we must establish who our Lord is. In fact, it was Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up before he said, who will go, you know, before God could ever say who will go, Isaiah had to see the Lord high and lifted up. And so it's about his kingdom. And, you know, the Lord's Lord's prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a three letter word there that, that if we can get a revelation of that, that word thy, the revelation of thy, because God will not trust us with a great mission until we settle who our is, until we settle who is the owner and the Lord of our life. And so before, you know, and a lot of people, they say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Before we can ask that question, because Saul said, what will you have me do? But before that, he had to settle who he was and who his Lord was. Because before I'm anything, Brother Greg, before we are anything, before we're a preacher, before we're a teacher, before we are a pastor, Jesus must be Lord. And I am a servant. I've got to realize I am a servant of the Lord. We've got to settle this, that he's not a tool in my hand. I'm a tool in his hand. Right. That lordship of Jesus. And it's about the kingdom. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. That word kingdom is two words, the king and dom, the king's domain. It's about the lordship of Jesus. And so before we can ever ask God, what will you have me do? We've got to settle who our Lord is. And we know that Saul went and he got that heavenly vision came from God, but God used Ananias to, to tell Paul what the, what his call was. And so I believe the call to ministry is for everybody and everybody's called to serve. But I was called to preach in my early twenties. Like I said before, um, you know, many people that said, you've got to be a preacher and all those sort of things. And, I used to remember just think, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I, I certainly didn't feel it. You know, I didn't feel any special anointing or anything like that when I was young. But one thing, I was always busy about the ministry. Uh, it was really, it was in my blood from a young age, gardening at church. I used to run small groups, got involved in youth ministry, home Bible studies at, at one time. In my late teens, I was I was doing seven home Bible studies and doing um, My Father's House and exploring God's Word at one time, just with seven different people, uh, playing instruments, creating websites, doing whatever I possibly could to serve in the kingdom of God. 
And um, over the years, I had a number of people prophesy over my life at, at various youth camps. And But there was one time, and um, maybe some of the listeners will remember a Tunga, a Tunga youth camp. And uh, our youth president at the time, uh, Brother Gabriels, um, he prayed. And he was as he was praying for me, I remember I was standing behind the drums. I had my hands raised as he had his hands laid on my head. And he was praying for me. Then he stopped and, and he prophesied. And then he said something. He said, Jonathan, open up your eyes. And he said, while I was praying, I could see you preaching to a large crowd of Africans. And that was significant for him because he was South African. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Anyway, after that that camp, you know, a tremendous move of God. Uh, I felt inspired, rejuvenated, revived, all of those things. But I still didn't feel the call to preach. I was still ministering as, as I'm called to do. I went on and completed year 12. I went to university for four years at ANU. I studied commerce there. In my last year of uni, I, um, I was uh, handpicked from the university to go and work for one of the big five accounting firms. Some, some people may know it, uh, Deloitte's. I spent my time training in Philadelphia in the U.S. and then traveled all over Australia um, for a period of 15 months. I commuted every week from Canberra to Melbourne to work with uh, the National Australia Bank. We were doing a big, um, uh, a big finance implementation there. But there was one Wednesday night in that 15 months that I was at home in our local church in Canberra, Calvary Chapel. And for some reason, you know, my dad's never done this since and he never done it before. But he played a message from Because of the Times on the big screen for a midweek service. And it was a message preached by Pastor Anthony Mangan from uh, Louisiana, Alexandria, Louisiana. You can look it up if you want. It's still on YouTube. It's called The Bottom Line is Evangelizing a Lost World. And that's from Because of the Times in 1999. The funny thing is, that night we watched that. I had seen that message before. In fact, I remember watching at my mum and dad's house as my mum was ironing and um, we watched it. But then I went to church that night and as we watched it as a church and as I sat there, God began to move on me and it was like a rumbling. It was like a stirring. I couldn't hold back the tears. It's just like this fire just begin to burn inside of me. It was a very emotional night and, you know, my life was good. I was on a sharp trajectory in my career Um it was the year 2000. In fact, my starting salary in the year 2000 was I was on 65000 as a starting salary straight out of university. And this is 21 years ago. Mm. Things were going well. Um, I had just recently been promoted. I was traveling the world with my job. But right there and then, it was like God said, is it me or is it your career? And I walked to that altar that night, Brother Greg, on a Wednesday night, a video message, you know. <laughs> And I just simply prayed, Lord, I just give my life to you. I just give my life to you. I remember praying, use me as you will. And I wept at that altar. Nobody else was there. I remember my dad might have briefly come past and laid his hand on my shoulder. But that was a momentous occasion on a Wednesday night, video preaching. Dad closed the service. I stayed there for a little longer. But what happened? I answered the call of God to preach that night. Hmm. And... um. What happened is after that, doors began to open and some doors began to close. And so that's a little bit about my story and and being called to preach. Um, Doors began to open. I had to walk through those doors and some doors had began to close and I had to accept that as the will of God. Hmm. And you mentioned uh, when you were talking about 
the call to ministry, how that everyone is called to minister and that people need to establish lordship in their life, make sure that they uh, establish that that the Lord is overall. And it sounds like, obviously, you you had done that pr- previously, but specifically to the call to preach, it was like that was, it seems like that was magnified in your life where it went from, yeah, he's the Lord of my life. Now he's the Lord of everything. And I'm going to follow wherever he leads. That's correct. You know, um, you know, having a career, I was, I was a faithful Christian. I was a faithful saint in all of those ways, but God wanted me to completely trust him. And something happened right after that. Remember, I, I just mentioned before about God opening doors and closing doors. And around that time, we just started a school in Northeast India. And uh, we just finished building and it was going to be the first the first intake of students. And at the time, my wife was a, a school teacher. And I said to my dad, I said, you know, um, you know, we really needed someone to be there for the first, you know, three months of the school to make sure everything was up and running, um, to make sure that, you know, things got set right from, from day one. And I offered, I said, listen, we're willing to go for three months. Um, I'll take leave without pay. Melanie will take leave without pay. All good. And what happened right there is um, um, I lost my job. Uh, there was a big problem in the U.S. Um, that was around Enron, about the big consultancy, consultancy firms in the U.S. And being a U.S. practice, they began to close down our Australian practice. Now, I didn't lose my job straight away. I was one of the cheaper consultants in the company. But our Canberra practice um, got closed down. So they asked me to move. They wanted me to go uh, to Perth to work in a, a mine there, Hammersley Iron, a company. And then I got offered, I said no to that because I'd been traveling too much. I got offered another job in Nokia at that time and it was going to be a 12-month contract, uh, three months on four continents working. And um, and I said no to that. Then eventually, um, I was one of the people that were tapped on the shoulder. And so I got the redundancy and I'm like, oh my goodness, now I've lost my job. And I, I rang dad, I said, dad, I, I need to see. I went to the church, to the office and I said, I don't think that I can... Um, we can do this now. We can't go to India. Like I've got no job anymore and all these things. And as I, as I walked into the church, my dad walked out of his office. He said, I'll be back in a second. But my dad said, God spoke to him. And I, he didn't even know what I came to talk to him about. And um, he, he, he walked back in the office. He said, Jonathan, as I walked out of the office, God told me this will be the test. And, and then I told him what it was. I said, Dad, I've lost my job. We can't go. And he said, well, God told me this will be the test. Anyway, God is so faithful. I went to a meet, my redundancy meeting. They handed me the papers. And I was going to be going three months leave without pay. They paid me out six months pay. And so I basically went there, you know, all expenses covered. God was opening doors at the same time as he was closing doors. I came back and got a job in the government after that. And uh, I was able to be in Canberra then. Uh, I was pa- actually paid more. I was able to be even more involved in ministry. And so, yeah, that was um, a Wednesday night that I'll never forget and a, a message that I'll never forget. In fact, I just listened to it just again this week and I sent it to another young person in our church. I encourage you to listen to Anthony Mangan's message from Because of the Times in 1999. It just, it, it really set off a new trajectory in my life that uh, I have never regretted at all in the call to preach. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and find the link and I'll post it in the show notes of this episode. So if you're listening to this, check the show notes and 
the link to that sermon will be there. The the sermon that changed brother brother Jonathan's life on a Wednesday night video. Incredible, incredible. So, what advice would you give a young person who is feeling the call of God and is beginning to take those first steps into uh, seeing uh, the call of God actualized in their life? Well, the first thing you know, much like the the story of you know the road to Damascus and Saul is is to talk to your pastor about what you're feeling and begin to allow your pastor to mentor you through this um, this journey. Um, practical things like completing Bible school are so important, but here's something a lot of people, they feel the call, but then they just stop. But here's something, take whatever opportunities you can in ministry. Even if it's not something that you're really gifted in, if, if there's a need, then be there and make yourself available. And so when you're feeling the call of God on your life and you don't know exactly what God wants to do, this is my key. You write this down if you're taking notes. But when you're feeling that call of God on your life and you don't know exactly what to do, then just keep doing what you know to do. Mm. There are some things that we know to do. Like a lot of young people and old people, not just young people, I don't want to pick on young people, but they feel the call and then they forsake the little things. You know, and they start to beat down doors. They, they, they think God may be calling him here or calling them there. But there are some things that we know to do. Right. Continue your prayer life. Continue fasting, studying the word, being faithful to your church. Um, get involved in outreach. Start reaching for the lost in the outreach. Or, or let's, let's get a little bit closer to home. What about inreach? Hmm. Now, now I'm a pastor. I know the importance of inreach there. There are people in the church that you can minister to. You feel the call of God to preach? Then start ministering to people in your church. Do what you know to do. The loner, the shy one, the quiet people, the young person who doesn't have parents in church. Go out of your way to find those people. Encourage and support them. Because sometimes you'll feel that call and you don't know exactly what to do, but do what you know to do. And this is the bottom line. If you don't have a burden for your peers, then what's the point? Mm. Even being a preacher. If you don't have a burden for the people that are in your church or in your youth group, I mean that's that's where the burden. You've got to have a. You can't preach without a burden. That's so good. And yeah. so when you don't know what to do, you may feel called. Just do what you know to do. The mm. second thing, Greg, is is to make preparation. It's funny, but you think about it. Jesus spent thirty years preparing for a three-year ministry. So. Never underestimate the importance of preparation. And so when you're preparing, don't think, oh, well, what, what's my ministry going to be like next year or in five years? Because um, you, you've got to think of your ministry as like, I felt the call to preach more than 20 years ago. So this is 20 years down the track. All right. right. So remember, you're preparing for a life of ministry. Okay. And, you know, if I was to build a house, I'd given a block of land. I had limited funds at that point. And one day I was going to build a house. You know, I would build the biggest foundation I could. Because in the future, I don't know how big that house is going to be. So I'm going to make sure that the foundation is big enough to build whatever I may need to build in the future. Right. And so when I say build a foundation, you're not just planning for this year. You're planning for a lifetime of ministry. So Study time is not wasted time. Time in Bible school is not wasted time. Professional studies are not wasted time. 
Learning to teach kids in Sunday school is not wasted time. Get a formal education, go to TAFE, whatever it is, but make sure you build that foundation. It's so important. And I can't say that I, I use a lot of my, the stuff I learned in my commerce degree, but a lot of the reasoning and a lot of the analysis and things that they teach you at university, although not directly applicable, it's, it's, I hope it's still there somewhere, you know, right, and yeah. I, somehow I'm using the skills <laughs> that I learned. So that's what I would say, Greg, in terms of, you know, people that feel the call, mm. you know, when you don't know what exactly to do now, do what you know to do and make sure you spend time in preparation because preparation is never wasted time. I, I absolutely love that point you made about having a burden for your peers or having a burden for the local church. If you don't have a burden for the local church, if you don't have a burden for your peers, the people that you are currently living with, the people that you are serving alongside, then how is it that you actually do have the call to preach? Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking it's a call to preach, but it's not necessarily from God, and it might be you know selfish ambition if you don't have that burden for those who are right there with you, serving alongside you. That's right. And I would go as far to say is you can't preach unless you've got a burden. There's no way hmm. you could preach without a burden. Right. In fact, uh, T.F. Tenney, <laughs> a funny story about T.F. Tenney. There was a, a young preacher preaching at the um, Louisiana campground at, at the, the youth service there. And uh, T.F. Tenney uh, came over to check on the youth service and he found the preacher out the back of the stage talking with his mates. And T.F. Tenney walked past him and he grabbed him by the back of the collar and he said, I could pick your burden up with tweezers. Oof. And uh, it was the most shocking statement from an elder in the church to a young guy who's just preached but wasn't praying for anyone in the altar, you know. Mm. He was out the back talking with his friends and TF10 said those, those sharp words, I think I could pick your burden up with tweezers. You know, to be effective in ministry, we've got to have a burden for the lost souls. Amen. So you're... Now the pastor of Calvary Chapel taking over, uh, you're elected uh, by the church there, taking over from your father and your mother who, who pastored there for 30 years, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, 29 years, yep. Wow. When were you installed as the pastor? What, what year was that? Uh, I was installed as pastor in 2000 and, uh, 2012. Um, I, my first day officially was... The 1st of January 2013. Prior to that, I'd been the assistant pastor there for five years. Um, I got a lot of exposure to uh, to pastoral ministry during that time. Since my dad was a general superintendent, traveling a lot, um, there was a lot of time when I was able to get involved in pastoral ministry and to be able to preach uh, a lot during that. And now I can't believe it. They say time flies when you're having fun. It's been almost completed nine years now as the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel. I can't believe that. I, I, I assumed it was around that long, but I just, I don't know, it's hard for me to believe it's been nine years. Wow. But uh, things are going very well in Canberra. <laughs> well, things are going very well in Canberra. The church is growing. Uh, I love following you guys online and staying connected with the, a few of the saints over there at Calvary Chapel. So since taking over as pastor, you know, as the full-time pastor of the church, a senior pastor, what did you find most difficult about pastoring? Um, well, th that's a really, really good question, Greg. Um, there's a lot of difficult things about 
about pastoring, but a lot of the things about pastoring with a little bit, some, some things about pastoring with, with prayer and, and wisdom and you can normally get through them. Um, sometimes just requires a bit of hard work. But one thing that I find really difficult and, and quite hard to recover from is just seeing people backslide. Mm. Um, seeing people make wrong decisions in their life and um, falling into temptation, uh, falling into the snare of the devil. That is probably the, the hardest thing. And I'm not saying that it happens a lot, but it does happen mm. in the when you see people drift away and that is something that I find difficult because my heart aches. Um, you know, you know, I have sleepless nights. Um, there's times when I pray and I, I weep and it's, it's in the heart, you know, it's, it's difficult. That's one of the hardest things as a pastor. And there are many other challenges and frustrations in leadership. And, you know, I can keep reminding myself, brother Greg, and you're on this journey yourself is that, Leadership is a journey. My goal, you know, as in all these difficulties we face is that if I can be a better leader than I was yesterday, then that's a good thing. And sadly, I find a lot of times as, as pastors, we compare ourselves to guys that have been pastoring 30 years and 40 years and, and that we just got to remember that leadership is a journey uh, and that our main thing is that we are better today than we were yesterday. Mm. We're going to be better next year than we were this year because... How do we learn? Well, well, good, great leaders don't become great overnight. They, they didn't become great without making mistakes. In fact, um, that's, that's how they learn. And so don't beat yourself up in the difficulties of leadership and, and pastoring. But yeah, out of everything, Greg, that, that was a really good question. And I had to stop and think about that. But the hardest thing would be some of the heartaches that you have to experience as a pastor. That's, that's probably the hardest thing. And what encourages you the most? And I'm going to caveat that because uh, I think a lot of pastors would go straight away to you know someone being born again. But if we take that off the table, so if we take that answer off the table, uh, what encourages you the most as a pastor? Well, that that's that's a part of it being people being born again. But I love seeing people come to Jesus. Yes, mm. and I I love seeing people grow. And as a pastor, I. I, I know we must celebrate when people are born again. In fact, the Bible says that heaven rejoices. It's the only time that the Bible tells us heaven has a party is when somebody's born again. So we ought to rejoice in that. However, as apostolics, I think we probably we probably overemphasize that and underemphasize other parts. In fact, what encourages me most is is seeing people grow, the maturity process and let me explain that. When I see somebody that I've been working with go through a difficult situation and respond in a much more mature way than the last time they went through something. Hmm. You know what? I look at that and say, they're growing. Look at them. I feel that 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 pride, almost the same sort of pride you feel when your son kicks their first goal, you know? Um, you're proud. You can see, it's not that you did it, but you can see them growing in God. When When you see the fruit of the Spirit become evident, and you see something that comes against them that maybe five years ago would have destroyed them, but standing strong and praising God and 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 moving through it. That's what I really love. And I, what encourages me is to see people getting through these milestones. And 
and celebrating these milestones in the Christian life, Christian growth. And um, I, I love making a difference in people's lives if I can, however I can. You know, I love seeing the effect, not in a prideful way, but seeing the effect of, of my life on other people and the discussions that we've had and maybe somehow how I've been able to help someone or inspired someone that that encourages me and the other thing I, I can't I can't leave this bit out but I, I love preaching at Calvary Chapel hmm. I, I really do um, I I like preaching other places but there is there is no better place to preach than to the people that God has called me to pastor and I feel an anointing a special anointing when I minister there and I, I truly believe they're the greatest people in the world and that's that inspires me and and seeing people grow, seeing the church grow, seeing young people grow. That's it. Yep, born again, praise God. But they've just literally been born. Mm. Now we're going to celebrate the milestone of their spiritual walk. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That uh, beyond the birthing process, there's all these other things to celebrate, all these other milestones. And yeah, yeah I, that's true. You could see the heart of the pastor in that answer. So you you've always traveled. Uh, extensively as long as I've known you. I've known you for, uh, gee, I think 12 years now. And you've Mm. always traveled extensively overseas ministering uh, and most notably helping look over. You mentioned it. You went there for a few months when it first started up, the Audrey and Sism Orphanage. And we talked about that uh, a lot with uh, your mom in episode 21. So if you guys want to know more about that story, we're not going to dive into it here. But if you go back to episode 21 and listen to sister downs talk about that uh, it's a wonderful story how calvary chapel started that orphanage in northeastern india uh, but calvary chapel has consistently been overseas missions minded it's a missions minded church giving and going why do you think it's important because i know this in my interaction with you on the overseas missions board you know you're very missions focused why do you believe that it's important to be mission-minded as a church? You see, uh, being mission-minded is so important. We must always, and as a pastor, it's one of our responsibilities to keep our church outward-focused. One of the dangers a lot of, a lot of churches face, when you start seeing the church become inward-focused, you can guarantee you're going to start having internal problems. You're going to have people fighting position, gossip. You're going to have all that sort of stuff. And so as a pastor and remembering our mission as the church to go into all the world, we we have a big call on our lives to be able to help people to see outside of the four walls of the church and a lost and dying world that we're called to reach. And so it is so important that we must be outward focused. And one in Australia... We have to admit it, we are blessed in Australia with finance. Mm-hmm. And many parts of the world, they they don't have the finance that we have. And, and I believe that God calls people yet into all different types of ministries, but God needs financiers of the of the mission work. Right. In other words, we need finances to keep the wheels going uh, or the, the mission in motion, you know. We need finance. And I believe that, yes, we can go. But a lot of places around the world, all they need is the means to go. And that comes down to finance. And we're blessed in Australia. I remind our church, 
we are blessed. Why? Just so we can just, you know, uh, enjoy living in the lap of luxury and an easy life. No, we're blessed to be a blessing. And any point at which a church becomes a, um, is no longer a conduit for the blessing of God to flow through it, it's going to begin to stagnate. Hmm. And it's going to, and when stagnant water begins to stagnate, it begins to smell. So when God blesses us, I'm not saying that we give everything. We need something to be able to live, but we must let the blessing of God flow through our lives. And I'm proud to say in 2020, which was the the year the pandemic hit, our church gave uh, gave around $250,000 to missions. Uh, We didn't quite give that much in 2021, but it was right up there again. Um, We obviously give a lot to uh, United Pentecostal Church of Australia, but we have a lot of other missions work, including the orphanage um, that we're involved in. And so I believe that one of the important ministries of our church, Calvary Chapel and other churches in Australia, is to be a financier to help get the mission in motion. Um, Sometimes we can go, and that's a blessing. Hmm. But when we can help the people that are there go, it makes an even bigger difference. They can speak the language, they know the culture, all of those sort of things. And some churches are just ready if we can just put some fuel in their tank overseas, you know, via finance, they can do great, great things. And so we currently we've got the Audrey System Children's Home. Uh, then we built a school there. With, it's got over 500 students now, a boarding school. And then uh, recently we built, uh, attached to that boarding school, the Margaret Perry Memorial Building, named after Brother Michael Perry's mother, who was a, a great missions giver throughout mm. many years. And then we built another school dorm, a kitchen and a dining room, uh, which is called the Mary Vandercoy uh, Memorial Building. And anybody who knows Sister Mary Vandercoy know that she was a very missions-minded lady. And you can see that we've the various buildings have um, been named after missions-minded ladies. Um, then more recently, we've just built a vocational training center, which is a four-story building with um, a metalwork fabrication uh, for for the orphans as they do their vocational training. It's also got a pharmacy there. So um, the children, get, um, not the children, you know, the young adults can get involved in pharmacy. We've got a tailor workshop there uh, where they can learn tailoring and making clothes. And we've also got a bakery. And so, you know, we're trying, we've got the school for the educational side, but then we've got the kids that aren't that educationally minded who want to just do things with their hands. So we've got the vocational training. Then we also have at our church, um, our homeless ministry. And this, Brother Greg, this is a phenomenal story. We've been serving in the city in Canberra. Uh, Once a month, we do a a really, really big um, dinner there in the city. And a number of big businesses in Canberra have started seeing what we're doing. Um, And we've just, we've got one big business who gives 10,000 every year. And then we just recently had the Greek community in Canberra start giving 10,000 a year as well. And so people are seeing what we're doing. And uh, it's allowing it to get bigger and bigger. And then at Christmas time in the city, we do um, we do a, a meal at the King's Table. It's called, and we we do a we do the most beautiful roast, you know, lamb roast, pork roast, and all this amazing food and uh, for the homeless. And we do a big sit down meal right in the middle of the city, right there in Garima Place near the. Um, you've probably seen the merry go round there. We're set up there. We've mm-hmm. got musicians and singers people doing their testimony and then we've got all the homeless people sitting down to uh, a full-on three-course meal as well so then then an amazing thing that we've got um in in varanasi in india 
Now, uh, there was a, a Presbyterian church there, uh, and uh, the missionary had gone from Mizoram down to Varanasi, which is Varanasi is uh, where the Ganges River is. It's the Mecca of Hinduism. So as Mecca is to Islam, uh, Varanasi is to Hinduism. And so it's a very dark place. But um, the door opened for us to go and minister there at this um, to this missionary, Presbyterian missionary. And uh, he had 50 house churches associated with him and over 3,000 people in that church. Uh, I went there first in 2013. Sister Sue Sarantos and Brother Othan Sarantos Sister Zami in our church have also been heavily involved and so influential. But we've baptized, I've baptized over 300 leaders there now in Varanasi. And wow. uh, and all of the leaders have been baptized in Jesus' name. Um, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are preaching our doctrine. Now, that they're, they're not part of the UPC uh, yet. Maybe one day they will. But that is another door that God opened and God has uh, done miraculous things there Thanks, in God. probably one of the most persecuted places in the world. And so that's Varanasi. Look it up on the map if uh, you don't know where it is. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that and uh, encouraging mm. others. And I uh, go back to the point that you made that, you know, there are people that are ready and willing. They just need the finances. They need the wheels to, to go into right. motion. And especially right yes. now where we can't really go, you know, we, we would love to go. So many of us would love to be able to go mm. overseas and be able to do some missions work at the moment. But uh, those of us in Australia, we're not really allowed to go, but we yes. can still go through our finances. We can still go through our giving so that those that are, are that are there can be a blessing where God wants them to be. That's right. Mm. Getting back to something you said earlier, you had mentioned there was this uh, prophecy when you um, when you were first feeling the call to preach. There was this prophecy about you preaching to a, I think it was, was it a crowd of Africans? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right, Greg. It was at a youth camp. It was interesting because as a young person, Greg, I, I immediately thought, you know what, I'm going to be a missionary to Africa, you know? And uh, I started having visions of, you know, the mission field and all of that. But get this, about two years ago, I was preaching in our in our own church in, here in Calvary Chapel. And uh, as I was preaching, God just brought that prophecy back to my mind. And I looked out across our congregation and I would say at least 40% of our congregation are African. And, um, and I thought, you know, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because when I was 16, I don't, I don't. I think we only had one African person in the church. Mm. Now our church is between forty and fifty percent African, and um, that was just, you know, God is so faithful, Greg. And just to see the fulfillment of that, I had my own ideas about how that would be fulfilled on a mission field. Right. But there I was in a multicultural church with more than forty nations represented. Almost every nation in Africa represented in our church, and so yeah, that was the fulfillment of that prophecy, and I. I'm, I'm glad I got to get back to that. I'm glad you reminded me about that because I did say that I was going to come back to it. But the other thing, Greg, just a, a, a further on from that prophecy is that a, a couple of years ago, um, the African community, they have um, a big gala dinner night where they present awards. And uh, I was I was given, a, by the whole African community of, of Canberra, I was given a special acknowledgement and award as it was called the Friend of Africa. 
for my for the uh, acknowledging the work that I've done with the African community in Canberra as a spiritual leader and as a pastor. So that, that was really the fulfillment of that prophecy. And um, I'm just so glad that to be part of a multicultural church and mm. to be um, to be able to minister to um, all the nations that attend our church, including Nigerian ambassador, Ugandan ambassador, um, Zambian ambassador. Um, there's a number of ambassadors. The Belgian ambassador attends our church. Um, we've got a lot of um, embassy staff in our church as well. So I see our role as a church as being able to help ground these people in truth before they go back. And I just praise God that I can be part of that. Wow, that is an amazing story, amazing testimony that, yes, seeing that fulfillment, uh, not necessarily where you thought it would be, you know, going Mm. overseas and traveling overseas and preaching at a conference or being a missionary, but seeing it, uh, God opening your eyes and reminding you of that and seeing it fulfilled in, in your home, you know, where you're called, where, where, uh, God has placed you to serve. Really cool. There's no way I could have seen that myself because Australia wasn't like that when I was 16 or 15, you know, um, God saw, you know, 30 years into the future, you know, and saw that, that that would be, that would happen. So cool. There are a few preachers that listen to the podcast and I wanted to make sure that I got some pointers from you. I listened to a session you did, uh, I think, I don't know if it was this year or a few years ago about preaching and it was very good at at our um, mid-year event, the Ministers and Leaders Retreat. But I wanted to see if you would share some pointers that you could give to uh, young preachers out there that they could use for study and execution when ministering the Word of God. Yeah, that's, re- that's really good. And I, I mean, of course, I could I could do a, a five-part series on, on this topic. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately the first thing we need to understand is the importance of preaching, the importance of preaching. And when we understand the importance of pre- preaching, then we understand the privilege that we have to be a preacher of the gospel, you know, and to be preaching in this time, Brother Greg, you're a fellow preacher and uh, I've heard you preach some great messages, but we stand between, you know, the second, you know, the the ascension of Jesus, you know, when he ascended and then the rapture of the church, we stand right there in the middle and we are called to reach the world. And the Bible says that, that it's by the foolishness of preaching that people are saved. Mm. And so what a privilege. And what a burden. And and we've got to understand that, that the importance of preaching. And so, um, you know, we, we've got to preach for a response. And some people get really upset with that, you know, just preaching for a response. Well, of course, what are we preaching for if we're not preaching for a response? Right. I'm not preaching for people's amens. I'm not preaching for, you know, a hand clap. No, we're preaching for people to change. Mm-hmm. And when we understand, you know, the the privilege and the responsibility and the burden and that preaching is about people being saved. The Bible says the foolishness of preaching, it doesn't say foolish preaching. So I don't, I, and I want to be the best preacher I can because I understand how serious it is. And so my tip is invest yourself into studying the word of God so that you can, you can know the word of course, and be able to dissect and, and rightly divide, but then work on becoming the best preacher you can through execution and the united pentecostal church has wonderful preachers uh, i i believe we have the best preachers in in the world in our organization 
And so one way to help with our execution, and I'm not saying that one person executes better than another person. There are so many different styles of preaching. But the most important thing is that they, they are effective. Mm. And so we seek to be effective. We don't seek to be like somebody else or to imitate somebody, but to be effective. And so one way that we can really develop is um, to listen to other preachers. And the second one, you're not going to like this, Brother Greg, but listen to yourself preach. You watch a video of yourself preach. It's going to help you a lot. Because if you put yourself to sleep listening to yourself, then uh, you probably have the same effect on other people as well. But I'm talking about, you know, understanding that preaching is serious and, and it is a privilege and what a burden and what a responsibility to stand between the ascension of Jesus and, and the rapture of the church. And we're in the last days. I mean, what a privilege. Jesus could have called Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, but no, he chose Greg Hackathorn. He chose me. He chose, you know, others in your churches to preach the gospel. And we've got to understand that that, that is such an awesome responsibility. And when it comes to inspiration, inspiration comes through prayer. You know, a lot of people pray for a message, but we don't pray for a message. I believe the best thing to do when you're preparing to preach is pray for the people that you're going to preach to. And when you begin to pray for the people you're going to preach to, God will begin to speak to you about their needs. And God will begin to give you the message that is going to be a Rima word for them. Mm. Pray for the people and God will give you a message for the people. And when you pray... It enables you to tap into the heartbeat of God. When you pray, it, it, you know, it, it enables you to have compassion on people. You begin to see people through, through God's eyes. And, and when it comes to ministry, when it comes to preaching, it must be about his heartbeat. It can't be about my heartbeat. And so there's, there's often, even in Jude, chapter, Jude 22, verse 22, it says, there's a link between compassion and making a difference. Have that compassion to know and pray and have the heartbeat of Jesus when you get into that pulpit and you will see lives changed. If you don't have love, the Bible says you're just making a noise. Mm. And so we've got to have a burden. And so what, what drives us as preachers? Well, souls, seeing lives changed. You know, if the only thing I can take to heaven with me, Brother Greg, is a lost soul. Mm. The only thing I can take to heaven and I want my life to count. I really want my life to count. And so there's a few little tips there. And I would love, you know, if anybody that's listening to this podcast, if anybody listens to this podcast, <laughs> you know, they can always feel free for, for anything that I've learned. I'd be happy to teach uh, to help you, you know, understand, you know, some of the things that I've learned along the way, some of the mistakes I've made, some areas that I'm trying to work on and develop and things like that. But Study yourself full. One person said, study yourself full. Think yourself clear. Pray yourself hot. And then go to the pulpit and let yourself go. Mm. Uh, I can't remember who said them, but they're good words. Study yourself full. Think yourself clear. Pray yourself hot. And then let yourself go. Mm -hmm. I encourage anyone you know, to reach out to him and, and get those notes from that session that he taught. Was it this year, uh, Brother Jonathan? Yeah, I, I preached one this year as well. How do we, how do we remain inspired? Or how do you That's keep right. inspired? Yeah. And I talked a little bit about preaching and the source of messages and prayer and things like that. But I've also, in previous years, I've done sessions on how to prepare a sermon and different types of sermons, you know, all that sort of thing. All right, well, get notes from him or maybe I'll pinch the notes and, and put them in as a link in the show notes if, if he'll 
let us steal that from him. But uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for providing yourself, for making yourself available. I know with what's uh, going on right now in Canberra with the pandemic, I'm sure uh, you are quite busy in in, uh, reaching out to those in your church, trying to stay connected, trying to keep the church connected. So I just want to say how grateful I am that you have provided your time to the listeners here today. And I want to give you this opportunity to to uh, share a word with the listeners. Uh, we, we've had this conversation and gone back and forth, but I, I would like if, if God's given you something, God's given you a word to share with the listeners. And thank you again for your time today. Thanks again, Brother Greg. It, it's been a privilege and um, I've talked a lot and um, I pray that someone's been blessed. But when I think about these times that, that we're living in, the harvest is plenty. And I want to remind somebody that the time is now. Is The time is now. The harvest is plenty and the time is now. And if you're a young preacher, a young leader, a saint, faithful saint in the church, whatever you do, I want to tell you, go for it. The time is now. And yes, these are tough times. But in the Bible, if you look through the Bible, and I just, I think it was last week, I was working on a message I still haven't preached yet, but you'll see the supernatural working of God occurred during times of chaos. It occurred during times of turmoil. When there was tension in the land, that's when we saw the supernatural hand of God at work. That's when we saw it. And so then I began to think, well, what about when there was peace? Well, if you study the Old Testament and the New Testament, there wasn't much written about the mighty work of God when there was peace. But God showed himself faithful powerful, all of those things when there was trouble and chaos. And the Bible, I think the Bible shows us, and this is encouragement for us today, that the supernatural power of God is at work when things are at their worst. Think about Moses. Moses lived in the days of great oppression. And we know everything that Moses went through under Pharaoh and the slavery and the bondage. And then he comes to the Red Sea. And what happens at the Red Sea? When they're they're faced with the obstacle when they're faced with chaos, he's standing there. What happens at the Red Sea? The sea parts. What a mighty miracle. And so, you know, Moses is, is fleeing for his life. There's chaos, there's fear. And, and what happened? God did a work. And Brother Greg, I'm believing that for these times. These are the times. I can't help but remember the man who, who had to get into the troubled waters. You see, it's troubled waters. I look through my Bible, I see it all and time and time again. It's troubled waters. It's troubled times when God works. So keep living for God, church, and keep watching him do his mighty acts. We think about Daniel. You know, what's the standout miracle? If I say Daniel, people straight away say the lion's den, you know. There would have been no miracle. What would have Daniel had to write if it wasn't for the lion's den? When we think about the three Hebrew boys that were thrown in the fiery furnace, if it wasn't for the fiery furnace, Brother Greg, there would have been no fourth man in the fire. God does his best work in times of chaos. Mm -hmm. All through the book of Acts, we see that persecution was what brought about the revival. I want to remind the church, the harvest is ready and this is our time. God could have chosen anybody else, but he chose you and I. And I thank God that we have faith in God. But just flip that coin for a second and realize that God has faith in us. He called you and I for such a time as this. 
We have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so in these last days, don't let your posture be a posture of looking down. Don't let your posture be a posture of doom. Don't have a posture of despair and hopelessness because I tell you, it's time to look up. The, the, the harvest is white and is ready and the time is now. David himself said, is there not a cause? And I tell you, church, there is a cause and that cause is a lost and dying world. And we live here. At, it's 1159. We're living in these last days. And there is a cause. And let's be passionate about that cause. It's a passion. When you get a passion, it burns up all that selfishness. Passion. When you get a passion, it, it ignites the fires of meaningfulness. You know, nobody becomes meaningful unless they have a passion. And so this is our time, church. This is our hour. And... You know, I heard a preacher say once, he said, we are as important as Calvary. We are as important as Calvary. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Jonathan? Well, what is the message of Calvary without a messenger? You and I are messengers in these last days. We've got to take our eyes off ourselves and, and know that the, the harvest is ready and the time is now. And so let God birth that fresh passion in your life. That's my prayer for you today that you would have a fresh passion for Jesus Christ, that you would have a fresh passion for the work of God. You see, power doesn't follow position. Power doesn't follow prestige. Power doesn't follow talent. Power doesn't follow knowledge. And I, I'm not against any going to Bible college, but power follows passion. And these lockdowns, you know, we're right in the middle of a lockdown right now. You're in a lockdown in Sydney, Greg. Canberra's been in lockdown for a month. We've got another month to go. These lockdowns can drain us. And I know a lot of people feel drained. They just, you know, they're not involved in ministry. They're stuck home. They can, they feel drained. But the other day I heard the economists talking about, the politicians talking about how they want to see the economy snap back, go back, you know, even become stronger than it was before the lockdown. Let me tell you, if there's anything that needs to snap back after these lockdowns, it's the church. It's the church. And I want to encourage everybody. It's all about souls. It's a lost and dying world. The harvest is ready and the time is now. And so I encourage anybody listening to this, this time of the pandemic, whatever, whatever time you're listening to this now, we've got a job to do. The harvest is ready and the time is now. We are literally, Brother Greg, we're literally racing the rapture. You know, a lot of people talk about the mark of the beast and this and that that's going to happen. No, according to my Bible, the next thing to happen is the rapture of the church. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray right now for anybody listening to this podcast today. Oh, God, that you would baptize us with a fresh passion. God, that you would baptize us with a fresh vision for souls. And Lord God, I pray, Lord, as we race the rapture in this last hour, in these last days, oh God, that you would use us, oh God, to reach our colleagues and our families and the lost souls, oh God. Let us be consumed with a passion, oh God, reignite the fires of passion in our life, oh God, that we would do a mighty work for you, oh God, that we would not be concerned about the things of this world, but Lord, that we would snatch the, the souls, as it were, out of the fire. Oh God, Lord, we thank you for calling us to this hour. And Lord, we know you will empower us. Give us a fresh burden. Give us a fresh passion. 
we pray in Jesus' name.